You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be able to uh, join together with you once again. And Van, thank you again for leading us and those who are working behind the scenes and and uh, just making this possible. It is great to be able to worship together with you as the body of Christ here this morning. And um, just want you to get out your Bibles, please. Turn to First Peter chapter 1. It's important you have your Bibles um, because you've got to see it to believe it. Uh, important to have a pen, a journal. Kids, make sure that you've got, there's questions that you're going to be answering through the sermon. So make sure that you're listening and make sure your parents are listening and they're writing down some notes and some of the passages because God's Word is so important and we just want to be able to give God's Word that priority in our lives. And, and uh, we're going to start out this morning by just talking about 2020. We're almost halfway through 2020. And I'm telling you what a year it has been. No one saw this coming on the radar except for God. And it has been quite the year, almost halfway through. And I saw this meme um, this past week and I just thought it was rather comical. Has anyone tried giving 2020 a Snickers bar? And, and uh, I just thought that that is so true. Now, if you're not aware of the Snicker chocolate bar advertisement, it's basically if someone is out of sorts, not being themselves, you give them a Snickers bar and that will smarten them up. Well, 2020 certainly needs that. Um, and also then there's some other kind of memes that go along this line as well. If 2020 were a slide, <laughs> yeah, that pretty much describes this past year so far, hasn't it? Uh, just very unexpected and painful in, in various ways. And, and, and then again, another slide one, if 2020 were a slide, yes, that's uh, another great way to see it. Or if you're a fan of Back to the Future movies, um, rule number one, never set it to 2020. That is for sure if you're in a time machine of any sort. And, and so 2020 has just been that kind of a year. And I don't know if you are like me, um, and, and, um, and some of you might be surprised at this, but I'm almost at a loss for words, and I know that is surprising. I'm almost at a loss for words when discussing, trying to explain, comprehend, diagnose, uh, make sense of, try to have a balanced perspective on what we're facing. First of all, it was COVID-19, the lockdown, the shutdowns, the vaccines, the infinite number of theories and opinions and solutions to this whole pandemic. And, and now more recently, it's the riots, the racism, the anarchy, the calls that we are seeing throughout North America to, to defund the police departments, the civil disobedience, the hatred and the anger. One pastor said it like this recently. He said, you can't shop in a store, but you can loot it. You can't work, but you're free to steal. You can't attend church, but you can burn it down. You can't eat in a restaurant, but you can demolish it. Now we're seeing charges being brought in these riots, not against the rioters, but against the police. And, and at times you just have no idea who or what to believe about virtually everything. When it comes to the media, what sources do you trust? Politicians, health officials, social activists, scientists, even religious leaders. Who and what do you trust in all of this? Who is telling us the truth? Every God-given institution or restraint that God has given to us as individuals or institutions as a, a people, as, as universal people around this world, 
these in restraints or these institutions are being systematically devastated and destroyed. Just think about it. Human conscience, that is a form of restraint that God has given to us, and yet human conscience worldwide, and we see it in just so many incredible ways, have, has been so seared and so corrupted and depraved. Or the institutions like government that, that God has instituted, corrupt, self-seeking, not sure where people truly, really stand. Another institution being the family that has been dismantled and destroyed over the last number of decades. Another institution being the church. And especially here in North America, we have settled for fake church in so many ways. We have settled for easy-peasy, feel-good, make-me-healthy-wealthy-wise, make-me-successful, consumeristic Christianity. I'm sorry, but that's in so many different ways that describes the state of the church, especially here in North America. We have lost our voice. We have lost our influence to be the salt and light that Jesus calls us to be. Given the nature of what we are seeing and the global impact of these events, it is becoming more and more clear from God's word that we are headed quickly towards the biblical last days and judgment. And there is such a warning for us to wake up. There is such a warning for us to heed the call. There is such a warning for us to tell others because time, I believe, is getting very short. But you see, all of the trials and, and, and the confusion and everything that we're facing, it's not just all out there. It's not just out in the world. It's in our own personal lives as well. Some of it was before 2020 started, and it's just continued, and for some it's gotten worse. That health struggle, the pain in your body, the uncertain future, the relationship strife and battles, the struggle with addiction, bitterness, or unforgiveness, or lust, or maybe the struggle with same-sex attraction, maybe job or financial insecurity, the concerns that you may carry for your children or your grandchildren, for that prodigal who is far from God, the hurt and the grief or the loneliness that you are experiencing, the loss of a loved one. Where is the hope in the midst of trials and suffering? Is there a hope? Is there living hope in the midst of this? Or do we just have to white knuckle it and hold on? You see, it's easy and it's very natural for us in the midst of trials and suffering and confusion to ask of ourselves, to ask of God, to ask of others the age-old questions. What is God up to? Where is God in all of this? These kind of struggles personally or what we see in the world cause some people just to not even believe in God because that becomes easier for them in, in the short term anyways. But where is God? What is he doing? How could a God of love allow these things to happen in our world? How could a God of love allow these things to happen in my life, to my family? If God is truly powerful, is he really then all-knowing? And if, if so, is he also all-loving? Can all three of those be true of God? <clears throat> you see, the Bible teaches us and states that these three statements are true. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, God is all-knowing. And yes, God is all-loving. 
But how does the, the word of God reconcile of this, this problem of evil? Well, God's word has an answer, and it takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, and it is called the fall, the fall of mankind. When God created all things, when he created this universe, when he created the earth and the animals and the plants, he said it was good. When he created Adam and Eve, he said, it is very good. And there was no sin, no death, no tragedy, no rebellion, nothing, no mosquitoes. But Adam and Eve chose to sin. They chose rebellion. And the effects of that sin in Genesis 3 just continues to snowball. It continues to spiral down. Our world is broken. And the effects of sin continue to to destroy and, and spiral downward into a black hole. And yet God has provided a way. God has given us his son. He has given us a way way out. He has given us a lifeline. And God's word tells us in in 2 Peter chapter 3, this is Peter's second letter. Encourage you to read that. And once you have read through 1 Peter, do that. I encourage you to do that weekly as we're through this series, but read 2 Peter. In chapter 3 verse 12, he says that one day, One day, God will replace the heavens and the earth. He will replace everything here. And he will replace it with a new heaven and a new earth. And and they will be untainted, unaffected by sin. Unaffected by death, decay, or destruction. Because the devil will once and for all forever be defeated. Be thrown into the lake of fire and there forever and forever. It will contain beauty and majesty that our minds will just not be able to comprehend. That's going to be the beauty of what God has for his children. And at times I think that he gives us little glimpses of that beauty in his creation in nature. Various places where I've lived, whether it's been on the prairies, whether it's been here in British Columbia, you see the beauty of God in nature. And on Wednesday night, did God's creation, did God's beauty ever show up in some incredible ways? The sunset that that just lit up the sky on Wednesday night. And these are some of the pictures that some of the folks in, in our church family have taken. And just share those with you. They're just so rich and so colorful. We were sitting on our deck in the, and we saw the sun going behind the mountains. And all of a sudden, things just started getting brighter. And then they started turning red and orange. And it was so colorful. And I believe that one day, one day, I mean, just, again, the beauty of what we got to witness just in that one evening for a few moments is, is just even a, just one little pixel in a trillion upon trillion pixels of the beauty of God's creation and of what God has in store for his children. But until that day, until our faith becomes our sight, until we see that, we must grab hold of real truth. We must build our lives on real truth. R.C. Sproul said this, and I, I believe we take heed to this. One of the most dangerous things you can do as a Christian is to determine your theology by your experience. We've got to be so careful. We have to determine our theology, what we believe about God, not just from our experiences, because our experiences and our emotions will be all over the place. But we need to build our theology our lives on the word of God. We have one place, one place where we know we can turn to find truth. 
One place that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt we can trust because it has stood the test of, test of time, and that is the Word of God. God's Word has stood and will continue to stand strong. Jesus prayed on the night that he was crucified. He prayed for you and for me. He prayed for all of his children in John chapter 17, verse 17. This is what he prayed to his father. He said, oh, father, sanctify them in the truth. In other words, oh, father, wash them, cleanse them, purify them, transform them through the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. And so would we be sanctified through the truth of God's word? And even today, as we continue this series on 1 Peter in chapter 1, would we be sanctified in the truth of God's word as we look at three truths today about trials and suffering? These are three important uh, realities and understandings that we will see here. And so I encourage you to, to write these three truths down as we will be unpacking them here this morning in just a few verses here in chapter one. We'll be starting in verse six. And so the first truth is, and, and so I encourage you to write down the first truth, the reality. The reality when it comes to finding living hope in trials and suffering, the first one is the reality, no one is immune. No one is immune to trials and suffering. Verse 6, look, look down at your Bibles, encourage you to look at it. In, in this, you rejoice. I'll just stop there. Peter's telling us to rejoice in trials and suffering? Because if he is, that would be crazy. That wouldn't make any sense. Uh, so if you're thinking that, just relax. He's not telling us to. He's not telling, well, not here yet anyways. Uh, he might just a little bit later on but but right now when he is telling us this in this you rejoice what peter is doing is he's referring to what we've been talking about for the last number of weeks he's looking backwards and so i want to read this in context so follow along starting at verse three because this will put into context what we are supposed to be rejoicing about even today here's what we are to rejoice about Blessed be, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here Peter is saying, rejoice, Rejo rejoice, because you see, you, if you are in Christ, only if you are in Christ, you are then born again. There's no such thing as a Christian who has not been born again. And if you have been born again, you have been born again into a living hope. And that is great reason to rejoice. And we rejoice because we were once dead. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin. But when we believed by faith, when we said yes to that gospel call, we said yes to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, confessing and repenting, turning from our sins, and saying, Jesus Christ, come into my life. I desire for you to be my Lord and my Savior. When that happens, Jesus Christ comes in. He forgives us of our sins, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, gone. The Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates us, gives us new life with a new heart, causing new desires to, to, to flow from within and flow outward in our lives. He makes us alive in Christ Jesus. We've been born again, adopted into his family, 
I mean, this is truth that is just far too wonderful. Of course we have to rejoice in this. And if you have never been born again, if you are still dead in your sins, truly never trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do it today by calling on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And as a result of this new life, as a result of being born again, he, he tells us we have an inheritance that is sure, that is kept in heaven for us, and we can be confident that nothing will separate us from the love of God. So let's continue to keep going here in verse 6. That gets us into just the first phrase, in this you rejoice. And so verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so in this we see the I guess we would say the four realities, though, about trials that we see here in verse 6. And these are, are su- some sub-points here. And, and the first sub-point we see are trials are temporary. They're not going to last forever. Look at what he says, though now for a little while. You see, trials and struggles may last a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, months, perhaps years, maybe even decades. But rest assured, sooner or later, they will end. They will your trials, your suffering, one day if you are in Christ, they will end. However, when you're in the midst of the trial, it seems like it never will end. It can seem overwhelming in that there is no end in sight. And and some of these are just in some little areas in our life, but this may kind of help build a further understanding on some of the little things, but also give perspective into some of the larger things in life. In 2012, I fractured my ankle while I was skiing at Silver Star. I was flying down the mountain, keeping up to Nate and some of his buddies, and and, and I I went over this jump. I got like two to three inches of, of, of fine air, and then I wiped out, fractured my ankle. I was told I would need a cast for six weeks. And I'm thinking, six weeks? There's no way. Six weeks? This is an eternity. I, at that time, I wasn't in ministry or full-time ministry. And, and, and I was doing a sales job. And, and I was just thinking, how in the world? My life, these six weeks are going to go by. I, I won't be able to sleep. And all of the different things, right, that goes by. Here's, here's another picture of a certain place at the Kelowna Airport. And some of you would know this quite well that whenever I see this, and and it's the reason why I took it some time ago, it makes my heart sad. Because it's right here that we have stood as a family, and we have cried at times some ugly tears together. Like in September um, 2013, I was departing for Chicago. This was before uh, our church had started, and I needed to go to Chicago for four months of training at the training center in Chicago. And Charlotte and the kids weren't able to come with me, and just leading up to it, the months leading up to that, and the days, oh, we were just so sick, and just like, oh, this is going to be so long, and be so hard, so painful, why do I have to do this? And looking back now, there were so many blessings, and God's provision, and how he, he took care of us during that time, and, and how... Uh, it was just a, a incredible time, even for our family, just how God provided for Charlotte and the kids and even how they were able to come and visit and I was able to just, just so many blessings in that. But at the time when we were crying there and, and just, I remember just there was some sobbing even going on. It just like, I don't know if we can do this. Or we were back at that same spot a few years later 
And uh, as we were saying goodbye to our daughter, Clarice, who was headed to Bible school in Australia for five months, and we're thinking, five months without my little princess, how, how in the world, like, how is she going to be okay and all of that? And now she's back, and she's between here and Calgary and, and, and all of that. But again, that five months seemed like it was going to be so long, and it went by. And you see, all trials, all suffering, all struggles, one day they will end. And, and Peter isn't saying here, though, we'll just suck it up already. You know, like, it'll be over soon. Just, you know, buck up and keep going. No, he doesn't say that. Because the reality is, though, folks, that some of our pain and our difficulties and our struggle, and whether it's our health or in relationships or emotional issues that we have, they may last until the last breath that we take here on earth. And Peter here, Pastor Peter, he is so loving. And he's reminding us, though, that, hey, look at this with perspective. That even though these trials may, they will be only for a little while. Because what he is doing is he is contrasting our hardships and our trials to the eternal weight of glory. To what is in store in heaven for us. I think of that old um, song that goes, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race until we see Christ. You see, the things that we face here on earth, they are painful. And we're going to see that there is that's a reality that we live and walk through and that sometimes it will seem slow, but one day it will all be different. One day we will be new and, and our trials and our circumstances will seem like a little blip on the radar when we get to heaven, when we see our Jesus face to face. Here's another thing here. I encourage you to write this down. Trials are necessary. Would you believe that not one trial that we face is meaningless or just a waste. You see, we may not know or even see or understand, perhaps here on earth, what God is doing in it, but there is a purpose in our trials. There is a purpose in all of this of what God is wanting to do. And, and so this is why he is saying, even though for a little while, if necessary, he says they are necessary. And then, we also see here, trials hurt. Trials hurt, and he, and he goes on, he says, you have been grieved, grieved by various trials. That word grieved is a strong word, meaning deeply impacted. He's telling us there will be emotional, physical, psychological distress and grief and sorrow that we will face here on earth. And our sorrow and our grief as believers is fundamentally different and altered from the way that the world will experience grief and sorrow. You see, God through his word and through the comfort and presence of his Holy Spirit comforts and strengthens and allows us to see at some time his grand design in it all because God is at work in the various trials that we face. Here's another reality. Trials come in many forms. There has been in our household over the last little bit some much needed painting that has been done 
in our living room and dining room areas. During this pandemic, it's meant that um, our daughter has been home and she's been able to help in that, but there's still more to do, right, Clarice? You're going to get on that, right? I know you are. And uh, this past week, I stopped at the Rona store and, and stopped to pick up a few more supplies to get her going once again. And um, look at this picture I took of the paint samples. And then that was just one section, and then you see all of the different uh, samples that you have, and it's just like, wow, that is just a crazy number of options and colors that you could go with. Well, here in verse 6, if you look in God's Word, Peter says various trials. Various trials means many or multifaceted. Basically, he's saying all kinds of shapes and sizes and, and, and colors, if you want to say, of trials that we're going to go through. And though our trials may take many forms, God's grace and God's strength will be there to meet and to match each one to see us through and to strengthen us through it. But understand that in the midst of the various trials that we will be facing, Here's some of the things that we will face. There will be attacks on our faith. Just trying, the enemy, just trying to destroy our faith and discourage us. There will be attacks on our character. We'll be slandered or ridiculed and and false things may be said about us. There can be attacks on our health. And some of the things that we experience physically can be because of an attack that the enemy is trying to bring discouragement and defeat into our lives. There can also be relationship struggles and, 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 and attacks that take place, whether that's in the home, in a marriage, in, in church, in the work that you do, or in your condo association, or wherever it is, your ministry that you serve in. The enemy just would want to bring division and disunity and destruction. If he can't grab our souls, he's going to make sure we're miserable here on this earth. He's going to make sure that we're ineffective and that no one will want to see the glory of Christ and that we even struggle in our own lives to be able to worship Christ in the way that we could and we ought to. And the source of these trials, it's varied as well. So so there's different attacks that we will face, but the cause or the source of the trials will come in different ways. Some of the suffering and the trials and the difficulties we face, let's face it, they're self-imposed. It's where we have to live with certain consequences of foolish or unwise, sinful decisions or behavior. Or some of our suffering and trials come from Satan himself, from, from he, him and his demons. Think of the, the story of Job. He was the one that inflicted those trials on that man of God. The devil is out to, to steal, to kill, to destroy to just ruin our joy and our strength in Christ. And much of our suffering that we are currently experiencing even worldwide is coming because of the effects of living in this fallen and broken world. Our world is so cursed by sin, whether it's disease or brokenness or abuse or addiction or riots or tragedies or car accidents. These are all a result of this broken and fallen world. And yet again, for every trial that we face, everything we go through, there is this eternity, there is heaven, there is this inheritance that is waiting. But there's also God's matching, surpassing grace available right now. 
that he wants to use these trials to grow and mature our faith in the process if we allow him to, if we turn to him, if we daily continue to declare, God, I don't see what is going on. I don't understand your ways, but I'm going to trust your heart. The second truth that we see about trials and suffering, the first one is the reality. We're all susceptible No one is immune to trials, but the second one is here, we see the purpose. The purpose is to prove and to purify our faith. Look at verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You see, Peter here gives us a great picture or analogy, an illustration that helps us to understand the purpose behind our suffering and trials and what God is doing. You see, he's using the image here of gold being refined. And here we see gold in the fire. We see it in a crucible. And the gold has been placed in there and it's heated up to like 1900 degrees. And, it, it, and, and at that temperature, it causes the impurities to, be, to evaporate, to burn off, or the dross to, and, and the impurities, other ones to, to, to come to the top. And, and, and the, the goldsmith takes and, and skims it off the top. And you see, the heat reveals whether it is true gold or whether it is fake or fool's gold. And in the same way, the trials that we face reveal our faith. Is it real or is it false? Is it fake? Now, it doesn't reveal it to God because He already knows if our faith is the real deal or not. But He reveals that to us and to others He reveals a genuine faith as we come through the trials and the testing. It can give us that assurance of faith that he has us. It becomes a testimony to those around us of God's power, his sustaining strength and grace in our lives. That's where so oftentimes when I know of believers who have walked through hard trials and people talk about it and say, I could never do that. I could never go away and be that strong or experience you know, just, just that strength that they have. You ask that person two weeks ahead of time before that struggle, before that catastrophe hit, and they would have said, oh, I could never do that either. But the power of God, as they turn to him, And he empowers and strengthens. I think of Acts Acts 5 when Peter and the other apostles were beaten for preaching the gospel. And they were beaten and bruised up and bloodied from it. And and they walked away after being told not to keep preaching. and, And they did. But they were rejoicing. They weren't rejoicing like, yeah, that felt so good getting beaten by those rods and, 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 and you know, oh yeah, this field. They weren't rejoicing because of that. They were rejoicing because their faith was real. Because God gave them grace and strength that they knew wasn't from themselves. And so our trials and our suffering can prove our faith. And you see, when people quit or run or bail or turn away from God, when they're going through the refiner's fire, when they're going through trials, it may very well reveal that they never had a genuine saving faith in the first place. You see, everyone who, who, has, who has that kind of a faith, a saving faith, a genuine faith, will be kept. And you see, every one of us in our lives, it's either happened already 
And if it has happened already, it will happen again. If it hasn't, it will happen. We will have circumstances and events happen in our lives that will rock us, that will cause great sorrow and grieving and shock. And sometimes it may feel, and some of you have been here already, where it feels like you just have one nostril out of the water. But hey, it's one nostril. You're not completely drowned. You're almost, but there's one nostril and you keep going. Adrian Rogers said this, the great old pastor. He said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And so our faith will get tested. Trials can reveal and expose in our lives the sin, the impurities, the idols that need to be removed. You know, I've been privileged over the years to observe and to at times walk with faithful people of God walking through trials. And, and one of those uh, persons just even more recently is a dear man that I, I, I met just casually back when I was a youth pastor in Saskatoon. We met a few decades ago and, and in the last number of years have gotten reacquainted here in the Okanagan. And I've gotten to know him in a little bit more of a personal way in that time. However, in the last number of years, I've watched him walk through a health crisis that didn't go quite the way that um, they had thought or even the doctors had foreseen. And, and there were some setbacks that, that led to some emotional and very strong spiritual tests and trials for him. And he would admit there were some very dark, dark, confusing days for him and his walk with God and, 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 and for his family as they were like, what is going on with dad? What is going on with grandpa? A dear wife wondering what is going on with her husband. But as he has continued to stand firm, sometimes barely, quite possibly like that just nostril out of the water, there has been an emerging from this. And he, as he's been emerging from this, I've seen it, his family has seen it, have witnessed it, a genuine, a, a sweeter, a humbler, or humbler if that's the word, a humble, deepening love for God and a faith that is growing. And this is coming into his life after years of walking with the Lord faithfully for many years. And yet trials will come that will rock us. But the faith, the true faith emerges. And as he says, it's much more even precious than gold because even gold can, can be burnt off. But our faith, our salvation, it's imperishable. But here's something as well. When God allows us to go through trials, you have to know and you have to believe that he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. Believe it child of God. Believe it. Trials prove and purify our faith. And one thing I've read about, even kind of an interesting side note to this illustration of gold, that in the refining process in ancient days, the goldsmith, when he is, his work was done, when that gold was pure, he knew it because he would look over that hot gold that had, been, had everything burnt off and the dross and the impurities scraped off and he knew it was ready and he knew it was pure when he looked over and he could see a reflection of himself. You see, folks, the greatest and the highest joy and blessing, the richest thing in our lives is to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
You see, the greatest goal and accomplishment is not accumulating great wealth. So get over that. It is not, please hear that, that is not the greatest goal or accomplishment in life. It's not about a healthy body, ultimately. It's not about a new house, an amazing marriage, to have children who rise and call you blessed, to be a great person of influence. All those are great things. But the highest and the greatest thing that we can achieve and the greatest goal, the greatest accomplishment is to be conformed into the image of Christ. To live and love and act and react and forgive and speak like Jesus in an ever-increasing way. Because this is life, the way that the manufacturer, the way the creator built us to be. That's the original factory setting, so to speak. I don't know about you, but I have a long ways to go in this. And yet I trust that as the months and the years go by, that there would be a greater and a greater reflection of the life of Christ in Melden Lutzer. Sadly, I think he'd still see a lot of imperfections and impurities and, and, and we'll always be battling that until the day we die. But it says also that when we see him, we will be like him. And one day when we see him, we will be face to face. But God will use trials and sufferings and setback in that process to build our lives, to build our faith. Here's the third and last reality or truth. And this is the result. The result or the response to trials and suffering. And this is where it doesn't make sense and yet it totally makes total sense. Inexpressible joy. Look at what he says, starting the last part of, of verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, is tested by fire, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now do even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is saying that our salvation and even our trials will result one day, one day in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed and, and we receive that outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls one day, eternal life in heaven forever. But Peter is telling us, though, that this inexpressible joy is not just for that one day, not one day in the future, it is also for today. Even right now, facing trials and difficulties, get your eyes off of them. Some of them, you're spending so much time throughout the day in worry, in, in, in just working through all of the details and the things that have happened and the hurts from the past or the confusion about the present or the worries about the future. And we must look at Jesus Christ and see what he has done. This is not a joy because of our circumstances but it is a joy, an inexpressible joy because of the Lord himself is with us in the midst. If you are in Christ, he is with you. Turn to him, worship him, praise him, read from the word, be strengthened in that way. It's a knowing that we've been given a faith from God that will never perish. There is a protected, that, that we are protected by the power of God. 
and will never fade, never dies, never, no one can take it away. And knowing that he will hold us and sustain us and give us the grace and the strength as we walk through the trials and the suffering. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Do you love Jesus today? You know, Christianity, if it was to be described in one word, one very good word, would be love. It all started with God's love towards us, and and it continued with the Son's love towards us and His death on the cross, all out of love. And and it means that in return, when we understand and comprehend the greatness of His love, and we, we see His love for us as His children and what He did, even though we were dead in our sins and rebellious and wayward, Our love, that love from Him compels us to love Him back, to love Him sacrificially, to love Him totally, to love Him obediently, to love Him worshipfully, joyfully, and with inexpressible joy that bubbles from within. Darren is going to be leading us in a song, and this is a song of worship that reminds us of one day, of that day that is to come, But this is a song that it's not true for all people. This is only for those who have put their faith, their lives, their everything in Jesus Christ. They have trusted him as Lord and Savior personally. And I trust that this would be your song, that this would be my song.